Well, welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, uh, the end of this week, as we go into the weekend, it is a delight to have back in studio again with us, as we do most Fridays when he's in town, Rabbi Pinchas Alush. He spells his last name A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. He is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, heard on Apple Podcasts. He is the uh, head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H, on Shea Boulevard, where he uh, continually tells uh, the audience, all are welcome, uh, Jewish or not, uh, observant or not. And uh, I have to tell you, Rabbi, this, I don't know if it's, I guess there are these, for everything there is a season. This is speech season, at least for me. I've been giving a lot of speeches in a lot of crowds and groups lately, political, etc. And uh, I have to tell you, it's funny, it happened again last night. It happens uh, at least once a week. In uh, in an audience where people will come up and talk to me, and they will talk about, um, they will, say, you know, of all the guests I have in any given week, they continually say, as last night, you know, of all the guests you have, the one I like the best is Rabbi Alush. Oh, I'm so touched. And uh, typically, it's not, I, as far as I know, they're not uh, necessarily uh, Jewish listeners or whatever. I don't think they are. Not that I ask or check, right, but I right. you, you can sometimes tell they no. just really like it. So thank, thank you, you for so con- much. no thank you for continuing to do this and thank you. heading us into the weekend with a dose of spirituality and perhaps a little bit of remove from the um, the daily political heat. Although this particular moment has a lot of heat, so I would be remiss if I didn't first ask you how your family is doing, particularly your son who is serving in the IDF. Thank you so much for asking. Um, They're all doing well. Their morale is high. Their spirit is strong. And um, their resilience is unbreakable. So thank you. Thank you. And I'm sure that with that spirit, with that morale, with that strength, we will win. Good. We'll win. That's the... uh Big topic of your newsletter this week, or your morning email that I wake up to on Fridays. Came a little late today, if I'm not going to, you know, just a little little late there. Uh, but uh, I did receive it, <laughs> okay, just in good. time. Everything in its time. Um, and it's also partly uh, related to what we learn in the portion, the biblical portion of the week, the Parsha of the week, uh, with the story of Abraham. The title of your podcast this week, these podcasts are only about five minutes, folks. The podcast this week, What Abraham Teaches Us About How to Respond to Evil. There's a lot in here, and a lot in what you say, and a lot in what you write. Uh, And it all comes really with the start of Genesis 12. Abraham, uh, the former chief rabbi of Great Britain, whom I I want to study and quote, Jonathan Sachs said, was without a doubt the most influential person who ever lived. Yet he ruled no empire, Mm -hmm. commanded no great army, performed no miracles, proclaimed no prophecy. He is the supreme example in all history of influence without power. He was prepared to be different. And the lesson here, Rabbi Sachs says, is that leadership can be lonely when you go up against the majority because we have to remember the majority is not always right and conventional wisdom is not always wise. This is partly the lesson of Abraham. Dead fish go with the flow. Live fish swim against the current. I thought you'd like that if you hadn't already heard Yes, it. yes, I love that. I also love his uh, distinction between power and influence yeah. because people of power really are people whose power die when they die. Yeah. People of influence yeah. 
are people whose influence only multiply when they die. Yeah. And that's a, a, a very interesting and a very true observation. And it's certainly one of the great lessons we learn, not just from Abraham, but from all of the heroes of the Bible. They were people of influence, not people of power. And what this also means is that um, the Bible is trying to convey to us something that should speak to every one of us, every one of your listeners, and every human being really quite profoundly, because the lesson that jumps from this is that, yes, it's true that only the selected few can be people of power, but everyone can be people of influence. You and I, as long as we influence our surroundings, our neighbor, our friend, positively, then that influence will continue to live on and on and on to eternity. And it's really the duty that everyone was given by those heroes. Topics we have spoken about over various courses of our conversations have been about never knowing when that day is, by the way, when you will die, and that we all have the duty to teach take each day as it as it, as it is as as if it is our last to really seize the day and live it long that's another lesson of abraham that you open up your podcast with um he could have retired in his 70s mm-hmm. a lot of people can retire in their 70s um but he was a giant of a man you said uh fulfilling his purpose and making a positive difference in a broken world starting in his 70s mm-hmm. that's correct and uh, here's yet another lesson. You know, he was 75 years old yeah. when God appeared to him and said, go, leave your land to the land that I will show you, to the unknown. And Abraham could have said, you know, I've achieved enough already. It's my retirement. And instead, he decided to heed God's call, which teaches us again this lesson that to live is to grow. Mm-hmm. We can never say that we've arrived. We can never actually say that we've retired. We've retired from life. We have to face every day anew and make sure that we impact it as as strongly as possible. You know, um, I have to quote the Lubavitcher Rebbe again that we've quoted so many times. But he once told someone that um, who asked him the question, how can I be your student? And the Rebbe so powerfully answered an answer that I think pertains to everyone. And that is that if you go to sleep at night, having... Uh, If you go to sleep at night and you see that you've made an impact and that you are not the same person that you were this morning because of that impact, then you can become a student of mine. Uh And in many ways, that's, that's very true. How do we go to sleep at night? When we look at the day behind us, are we changed because we've made an impact? Have we grown? Are we better people? And therefore, is the world around us better? And that is what Abraham teaches us here. Even at the age of 75, you can still grow. You can still go to sleep at night looking back and saying, yes, I grew today and I made the world grow with me. I'm going to come back to that issue of is the world better because of what my actions were today because you kind of put this message both in the end of your podcast and in the end of your newsletter this morning as to what we can do to overcome evil. So remind me, but let's bookmark that point for a moment. Let's, if I can, stay just a second on this issue of never stop growing, no matter what your age. Um, They never stopped growing. It's interesting that this is a society that sends the aged off to retirement, even younger. And I looked this up, and this, this blew me away. You know, there's two things going on. First of all, 
young people used to be told don't trust anyone over 30, which I think was really bad advice. And we're kind of there again. You know, the millennial generation and Generation uh, Z doesn't really trust their elders. I think that's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this one was curious to me. I started knowing this about 20 years ago. Major law firms, the large law firms, the majority of them, I think the last number I saw was about 60% of them, force retirement for their partners starting at the age of 60. And it's odd to me why you would want to dispense with people who have accumulated such wisdom. It seems to me, why would you want to usher someone out the door who has learned so much in deference to people who you know, are, are, you know, are, are still learning, learning while they're earning, one might even say. Um, something in Judaism, Judaism, it's probably true of most religions, but I know particularly in Judaism, the respect for elders. People know of a woman named Chaya Reitschik. She runs a very popular website called Libs of TikTok. I was studying in Los Angeles, and uh, she wasn't even born at the time, but a very old rabbi walked into the room, shuffled, her uncle, Reitschik, and everyone in the room stood up just for him walking in. Mm just for him walking. I've never seen that before. Yes, it's a common scene in uh, Jewish high schools, Jewish schools, Jewish post-high school programs, uh, especially the religious ones. Indeed, the respect to the elders is a a very dominant uh, commandment in Jewish life, but it stems from this idea that you are right. Those who are older than us know better than us. They are wiser than us. In fact, the Talmud says that the word for elderly in Hebrew Zaken is actually an acronym to Zekanachochma, the person who acquired wisdom. So a person who's elderly is not just elderly, he's really a wise person. He's acquired wisdom. And I guess now that I'm thinking through that story, this is a man who shuffled when he walked, very aged. Where was he going? Into a classroom to teach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rabbi Pinkha Solution, I'll be right back. Little MacArthur Park out of here. We'll be right back. All right, that's like the shofar blow. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. Pinchas is P-I-N-C-H-A-S. That's his first name, Alush, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, host of the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcasts. The um, portion we read this weekend, uh, tomorrow, uh, Lech Lecha, right? Go. Right. Go. Move yourself. Go to yourself. Okay. Which is an interesting statement because... Really, the commandment of God to Abraham, as many of your listeners know, is go to a land that I will show you. So why is God telling him, go to yourself to a land that I will show you? Is Abraham commanded to go to himself or is he commanded to go to a land that God will show him? And the answer, I think, is very profound and very, very relevant. God was telling Abraham, you cannot move forward in life if you do not know who you are. Mm. So first, go to yourself. Go to your deeper self. Find that well of strength that maybe you did not even know you possessed. And then you'll be able to move forward. And then you'll be able to move forward direction and with purpose. And uh, in many ways, this is also why God is telling Abraham, go to yourself from the place you were born, from your land, and from the house of your father. Why those three statements? I mean, after all, they all point to the same location, right? The place where he was born is his land, is the house of his father. And uh, the commentaries explain something quite fascinating. Usually, the three greatest excuses for people um, 
that don't want to change are those excuses. I was born that way. It's in my DNA. So God says, leave the place that you were born. Leave your DNA. You are stronger than your DNA. The other excuse is, well, that's the way I was raised. My uh, parents gave me a rotten education. God says you're stronger than that too. Leave the house of your father. Another excuse is, well, that's the society I was born in. The pressure I had from my social networks and from my peers is what turned me uh, into the person I am today. God says, don't give me that excuse. Don't be a victim of your society. You are stronger than that too. So overcome your DNA, overcome your society, overcome the education that you may have received and go find that divine self and then you'll be able to achieve anything in life. When you go to, uh, when people in this audience, they'll know what I'm talking about, they go to a lot of different conservative speakers, different conservative conferences and events where, you know, uh, writers and and sometimes radio hosts are giving talks. I have noticed in these over the, particularly the last five years I've been in this world, I don't know how 30, 35 years I've been in the conservative movement or something, but I noticed particularly in the last five years, more and more conservative speakers are talking about if you are failing in life or if you aren't succeeding in life, the first step is to stop blaming everyone else. Mm-hmm. I've heard this so many times over the last five years. It's almost as if it's taken a grip. Get out of the excuse or self-excuse or blaming industry. It's also, by the way, something we often talk about. It's also something you will hear in recovery rooms. Everything isn't everyone else's fault, hmm. right? That's right. And I think it goes further. As and, a, and maybe, by the way, that may be a sign of addiction, by the way, if everything is everyone else's fault. That's maybe right. Maybe everyone that's else right. isn't to blame. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly right. right, right. Exactly right. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the typical excuse that really paralyzes a person and, and his or her movement in life. But I think it goes even further because if I believe in God, which I, of course, do, then I know that whatever happens to me is God sent. So instead of looking at events or even people that uh, uh, we think we may blame, let us look at them as agents of God to teach us lessons, not as people that we may blame, but the people. But let's look at them as people or as events that taught us lessons from God for us to grow from. The Bible is rich with stories of people who did ultimately great things, even though one would have seen their humble origins or so many oppressions against them. Now, I think that's probably not true, at least of Abraham in the beginning, because he comes he comes from a wealthy. If I'm not mistaken, you correct me if I'm wrong. He's he does he's doing well in his seventies. Yes, yes, that's its well. own sacrifice to get up and leave when you're doing well. Mm-hmm. It's a it's kind of the interesting other side of the coin. The lessons we draw from people in the Bible or people in our heritage who did well coming from the other side, coming from great moments or periods of oppression or deprivation. Someone. That's right. I mean, we have heroes. Should be, of, in other words, I guess the lesson is it's irrelevant. Your condition is irrelevant. It's irrelevant okay. because you're right. Abraham come from, came from a wealthy background, but say Joseph, right. who was thrown into a right. pit and had to start everything from scratch, he came from poverty. Right. Uh, but they both achieved greatness yeah. because, like you just said, it doesn't matter where you came it's, from. It's, yeah. It doesn't matter what the excuse is, and they both had this perspective that it's not what happens to you; it's what happens 
for you, mm-hmm. as they say. Yeah, and not what happens to you, but what you do. Right. Right. What you don't do let about the it. world do unto you, you do unto the world. I think is mm-hmm. part of that mm-hmm. lesson. That's correct. You are here as an emissary of God yeah. to do good. Yeah. So stop giving excuses of why you should not do good. You have a mission to fulfill. Devote yourself to it. I once heard, I think a friend of yours, I think we've discussed before, Daniel Lappin. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's right, a dear friend. I, yeah, good. Say, tell him I said hi next time you talk to him. <laughs> I will. Um, he, he and I used to do conferences together years ago, a few of them anyway. Mm-hmm. I remember him telling an audience Maybe, once, maybe if yes, I may interrupt please, you, sorry, maybe, maybe it's good yeah. that we're speaking about it, we can give him a little plug. Yeah. And I can Go tell ahead. your audience also that Rabbi Daniel Lappin is not just a wise man, but a person whose wisdom is so relevant to everyone, no matter your background. And he speaks to audiences, Jewish and not Jewish, across the nation and across the world. And I've heard so many positive feedbacks from from the talks that people heard of uh, Rabbi Lappin. So it's a good moment to plug him yes, in. Yes, certainly. Yes. He's, he's a very gifted man and a great teacher and hugely influential on a lot of people. I remember at one particular talk he was speaking to um, – uh, a kind of a lost student, if you will, and um, he said to the student, "Maybe this is simple, Rabbi. I don't know. Maybe it isn't. It, I, I remember it, so they obviously meant something." He said, um, "Just remember, uh, God didn't create you for no reason. God created you for a reason. Mm. It's worth keeping that in mind. Everyone needs to think about that. I That's think right. even in these lonely or depressing times." Very good. I'm going to quote the Lubavitcher Rebbe again in the segment who used to say we something. We have a catalog of about five <laughs> go-tos here. That's right. <laughs> okay. But he used to say something very, very similar, a line that is just so powerful if we just contemplate it. And that is that birth is God's way of saying that you matter. Okay. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been born. So God's way, it's, uh, birth is God's way of saying that you matter. And the big question now that we have to ask ourselves is not if we matter, because we do, but how do we matter? Yeah, and to do something that matters, and don't be indolent, and don't be, ins- don't waste your time. Right. It's right. a chaval, a pity. <laughs> Rabbi Lucian, I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Lucian is my guest, head rabbi at uh, Congregation Beth Tefillah in Scottsdale, where we'll, uh, all are welcome. And young David has been there. Um, I want one more thing from your podcast before I go to your newsletter, Rabbi, if I might. Sure. Uh, I was writing down as fast as I could. Um, we do have to now talk a little bit about evil in our world and the contrast between good and evil. Um, we. S- See the contrast over the past several weeks, of course, and most starkly on October 7th. Um, Our duty is to spread goodness and light. The message of Abraham is go, go and fight evil however you can, but go do something. You say um, to fight, if we're not the army perhaps, by just being good and just spread, spreading light, just doing something good that helps improve the world through what you say is quiet heroism. And I love that. I love that notion of quiet heroism. Right. Not, all, not everything has to be shouted from the rooftops or make the evening news. Right. And because, you know, we live in a generation in which we think that the only way to change the world is through the macro, not the micro. 
So kids have to have a million followers on TikTok and on Instagram in order to make a positive difference or a difference altogether. I don't know if I would call it positive. But really, we have to remind ourselves of the basic truths of life. And one of them is that really change begins within. Or as Gandhi would put it, be the change that you want to see in the world. It begins with the micro, not the macro. And um, as long as I can be a good person, even to one individual, there is a change that is created. And that change is a ripple effect which will eventually impact the world altogether, one person at a time, one moment at a time, whether these moments and these people deserve titles or not. That is indeed quiet heroism that truly changes the world. One of the things that you talk about and get into in your newsletter as well as in your podcast this week is um, the area where I kind of think, if you'll forgive me this, forgive me saying this, I hope it's not an insult. One of the areas where what you do kind of coincides what I think I'm supposed to be doing. That is to say, where political science coincides with theological instruction. The kind of work you do is the latter. The kind of work I at least think I'm engaging in political science is the former. Uh, And it's the understanding of the distinction and the necessary teaching of the distinction between good and evil. And you say, well, of course, ten seven and forward has been an awful instruction in that. I uh, often am reminded of um, an old political philosopher who was the teacher of my teacher uh, named Leo Strauss. And he, when was told that Winston Churchill had died, he said, and his students wrote down everything he wrote, everything he said, they, they transcribed everything he said, uh, Leo Strauss said, the death of Churchill is the reminder to academic students of political scientists that they have to understand the contrasts between the tyrant and the magnanimous statesman. And one could see that teaching no clearer than that between the pinnacle of the tyrant from 1930s Germany and his opponent, Winston Churchill, who had died that day. Hmm. Wow. Wow. That's a powerful line. And it reminds us that, yes, evil is evil, and it has to be called out as such. There is no justification for evil. There is no explaining evil. Evil is something that exists and that needs to be obliterated. Just like mountains exist and happiness exists, both the tangible and the intangible exist, so too there is something that's sometimes very tangible, unfortunately, or intangible, and that is called evil. And the only way to deal with it is with force, with light, and yes, with the motive of uh, obliterating it from our lives. I, I will quote King David that speaks about evil quite a lot. He himself in his own personal life encountered evil time and time again. Uh, His whole life was a battle against evil. But he quotes in the book of Psalms that those who love God hate evil. The more I love God, the more I love goodness altogether, the more I become allergic to evil. And therefore, the more I will want to indeed eradicate it. The less I love God, the less I love uh, uh, goodness altogether, which is what this verse is alluding to, the more tolerant I'll be towards evil. And that is what... Uh, Winston Churchill did not do. 
That is what every good person should not do. We cannot be tolerant towards evil. All we have to do is hate it and do everything in our power, each in our own way, of course, in legal ways and in, in hopefully illuminating ways. But we have to do everything to eradicate it. When we come back, larger, longer segment, I'm going to ask the question that no doubt is on at least half the audience's mind. Great Greek word for it, theodicy. That is to say, yes, overcoming evil, but why is there evil? Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. He is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H, host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, five minutes every week. Change your life. Apple Podcasts, I have to listen to those five minutes again and again and again to get as much as I can out of it. I One, for me at least, maybe it's my dim dimness. <laughs> I can't get it in one listen. Um Evil. So we're commanded to fight evil. We're commanded to live and 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 find good and fight off death and evil. And um, you were quoting King David in Psalms ninety-seven earlier. Those who love God and goodness hate evil. Raises the question: Why there's evil? Why evil is put before us? And let me compound the question even more complicatedly. And I'll just let you unwind it any way you want. I was very. Very interesting speech I was watching earlier this week. Former Supreme Court Justice who's since passed away, Antonin Scalia. Mm. I don't know if you saw this. If not, I'll send it to you. And he was talking about um, a Holocaust remembrance. And he was talking about our duty to love good and to love decency and to do good. And he was talking to a Jewish audience about the irony of his time being that it is – the most advanced intellectually, artistically, technologically societies that seem to be capable of enacting the most evil. And he says it is an ongoing curiosity to him that when we try and find the good in life, ultimately we keep redounding back to the things the Jews taught the world, obviously from the Ten Commandments forward, that the irony is it's always first the Jews against whom the most evil is directed. Mm. Curia, he was scratching his head on that one. I throw all that at you. No, <laughs> You have to deal with yes, it. Yes, you're right. Okay. I mean, for too long now, the Jews have indeed been uh, being uh, thrust in the forefront of uh, this war between good and evil, and they've been attacked uh, too many times, uh, um, and, and, and of course too many times as, as the first victims. Um, but I, I will go to your question of why evil, and I will say that I do not know that there is an answer to that question. But the question then becomes, why is God concealing the answer to this question from us? Oh, yeah. And I think that the answer is quite clear. God does not want us to know why evil exists and why evil happens, because if we would know, we would accept it. Mm. And God does not want us to accept evil. He wants us to protest it, to fight it, to eradicate it with as much goodness as possible. So he conceals that answer from us. And I think that in many ways, this is how God created this world. Many good things have duplicities. Happiness has sadness. Life has death. Uh, despair and hope come together. You can only know these things through their paradoxical opposite. That, that's right. Yeah. Very well said. And that's exactly the point, to highlight 
goodness or polar opposite. Sorry, polar that, opposite. that's right. Yeah, and and it it is in a, in a way God's way of saying, focus on the other side, on the polar opposite, as you were just saying, and make sure that this wins the battle in the sphere that you are uh, battling, whether it's again life and death. Make sure life prevails in the sphere of goodness and evil. Make sure that goodness prevails. I have given them both to you. But I have done that so that you can protest that which is wrong and eventually dedicate yourself to eradicating that which is wrong. Evil is wrong. And if we were to understand why it happens, we would accept it. And that we cannot do. You remember last week we were talking, I think it was another line of Jonathan Sachs's or someone's um, about uh, Jews being people of memory. Mm-hmm. Jews live with memory. That's right. Do you think that reasons for anti-Semitism in part could be explained that Jews remind other people who are inclined towards evil, that they are walking memory, someone who looks like you and walks around town looking the way you look as a reminder of their failures? Sure. Just the way Israel – by the way, just the way Israel is the target of so many mm, failed societies. mm, Right. Very very well said. You know, I once read uh, an interview with – Adolf Hitler, mm-hmm. and he was once asked, why do you hate the Jews so much? And he said that that's because they brought circumcision and morality to the world. Mm-hmm. So it's true. God gave the Israelites in the desert the Torah, which is really a book of values to live by. Not easy live with. ones. Not easy ones. But it's values that make us good people and make us live good lives and make us lead good homes and good families. And the evil people in this world will always hate that person who is carrying the torch of goodness because they stand for the opposite. So it could very well be a reason that contributes to this uh, hatred of goodness by evil people. Do you think that's partly it with Israel too, that there's a, um, a shame of its existence because of its success? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's the beacon of light in the Middle East, yeah. a Middle East that is – unfortunately filled with countries that immorality is really not even reflective of what they stand for. It's, it's so much worse than that. And the Israel that stands of this beacon of light bothers darkness. You know, the values that we cherish so deeply disturbs those who hate those values so deeply. What is your answer to the question that I'm feeling very um, pessimistic about, which was uh, about a week or maybe not even, maybe about three days after October 7th, there was so much sympathy. And by the hour, it seemed to not only fade, but turn into so much antipathy, particularly amongst our young, these young people we were speaking about earlier Something was revealed that maybe some of us suspected existed, but to this degree, were you surprised by the actions of what you've seen on college campuses? Again, to borrow from Scalia, some of perhaps what you would consider the most enlightened places in the world? Yes, I wouldn't call them enlightened places, especially after all I've seen. In fact, I have a dear student at Tulane University who sent me a despicable video of what was happening there, the the vile attacks on Jewish life, on Jewish students – um, but just just despicable is not even a word. Am I surprised? I'm not so surprised because wisdom that stands alone without fear of God, as King Solomon says, 
is wisdom that is corrupt. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my favorite verses is Reshit Chochma Yirat Hashem, which means the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Yeah. That should be the anchor of your wisdom, the foundation of your wisdom. If God is at that foundation, then your wisdom will sprout in a good way. If not, if it's just led by your human brain that can change with the weather, then your wisdom will also be rotten. So, yes, these universities stand for wisdom, but it's wisdom that are that is certainly not anchored in the fear of God. And therefore, it has become, unfortunately, very corrupt and now also quite dangerous. Teddy Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, said to educate a man in the mind and not the morals is to educate a menace to society. Mm. We're seeing that now. Go, go be good people. That's it. Go and go good do people. good things. Quiet heroism. Quiet that heroism. can do it too. Rabbi Pinchas Alush, thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Always a pleasure. I was uh, looking for the exact words Leo Strauss used when he learned upon Winston Churchill's, when he learned of Winston Churchill's death in January 25, 1965. His students wrote down everything he wrote. And uh, this is the quote I was referencing earlier to Rabbi Elish. The death of Churchill is a healthy reminder to academic students of political science of their limitations, the limitations of their craft. The tyrant stood at the pinnacle of his power. The contrast between the indomitable and magnanimous statesman and the insane tyrant, the spectacle and its clear simplicity, was one of the greatest lessons which men can learn at any time. No less enlightening is the lesson conveyed by Churchill's failure, which is too great to be called tragedy. I mean the fact that Churchill's heroic action on behalf of human freedom against Hitler only contributed, through no fault of Churchill's, to increase the threat to freedom which is posed by Stalin and his successors. Churchill did the utmost that a man could do to counter that threat publicly and most visibly in Greece and in Fulton, Missouri. Not a whit less important than his deeds and speeches are his writings, above all his Marlborough, the greatest historical work written in our century, and an inexhaustible mine of political wisdom and understanding which should be required reading for every student of political science. The death of Churchill reminds us of the limitations of our craft and therewith of our duty. We have no higher duty and no more pressing duty than to remind ourselves and our students of political greatness, human greatness, of the peaks of human excellence. For we are supposed to train ourselves and others in seeing things as they are. And this, above all, means in seeing their greatness and their misery, their excellence and their vileness, their nobility and their triumphs, and therefore never to mistake mediocrity, however brilliant, for true greatness. That's a great thing to think about as we go into the weekend and as we steel ourselves for the goings-on around the world and the seemingly inconfusable but now confused distinction between good and evil. We are tasked to see things as they truly are, seeing things in their greatness and their misery, their excellence and their vileness, and never to confuse the two. We live in a confusing time, so these things do get confused. Our job 
is to be in the unconfusing business. The unconfusing business. Folks, thanks for spending some of your week and day with us. God bless you all. For David Dahl and Mr. Bill and myself, God bless. And until Monday, I'm Seth Leibson. Have a great weekend. Class dismissed.